do my best. All right. <laughs> so I, I love this. This is literally my favorite thing in the world. If I could go to workshops every single day of the week, that would be me. Um, I love learning, probably a lot of you guys as well. I loved Chris's talk. I got a lot out of that. Anyone get something good out of Chris's talk before? Yeah? I think the one thing that I got out of that, though, is that I should bring coffee and donuts next time to level up my own <laughs> talk, because that was good. Um, so two hours before uh, this talk, I'm at my house with my 14-month-old uh, son. This is Jack. I was going to share my family with you anyway, so this story is a good way to open it. Um, I was at my house, and I had those normal, that normal head trash that we all get sometimes, that stuff telling me, like, you know, what do you have to share with these guys? What, what, do, you, what do you really have that's going to be valuable that they want to hear? And immediately following after that, I, I remind myself of some things. I remind myself that I've got unique experiences in coaching. I've got a unique set of mentors and coaches that I've learned from, a unique set of kids and problems that I've dealt with myself working with athletes, and I'm a unique person in general. And I think that's so cool amongst this entire room of people Anybody in here could stand up and share some very unique experiences about their coaching experience. Um, anybody in this room truthfully could write a book about their unique experiences because you are a unique coach. You have some unique passions and things that you love about coaching. And you definitely have some unique stories um, of parents that you've worked with and of athletes that you've worked with and some unique ways of doing the things that you do. So. I wanted to start out with that. I also thought, right after I had those thoughts, of the, that stinking thinking, the head trash, I thought to myself, Andrew, you are more connected with the coaches in the room by your insecurities and your fears of failing and your fears of not being enough. You're more connected with the coaches in the room because of that than you are about anything else. We all are coaches, but we're, so, we're connected to one another most as coaches when we let our guards down a little bit, right? When we share, like, these are my... These are the things that I'm struggling with as a coach right now. These are some of the self-doubts that I have. Um, I'm going to talk about some of my failures as a coach, some of the things that I've said to an athlete that I shouldn't have said, some of the things that I've done that I shouldn't have done. And I also think that that's something that our kids are missing a lot of in today's day and age. Um, on Friday night, my wife and I went to see Simon Sinek in, uh, in D.C. Anyone here a Simon Sinek fan? Yeah, he's got some great stuff. He wrote the book called Start With Why, about how to use your past um, to fuel your purpose for what you do as a coach. He wrote the book called Leaders Eat Last, um, all about servant leadership. And then he wrote the book, his most recent book, the Infinite, uh, the Infinite Game. Anyone read that one? The Infinite Game? It's an incredible idea about how there's only two types of games in life. There are finite games, and then there are infinite games. And he makes this really compelling argument that most of the, um, most of the games, like sports, relationships, um, academics, our careers, most of the games that we kind of treat with a, with a finite mindset, they're actually infinite games. And if we want to be successful in the game of coaching, in the game of sports, if you're an athlete, in the game of relationships, you have to approach those things with an infinite mindset. And he goes on in detail. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, Simon Sinek talked about the state of our youth today. He touched on that a little bit. And he said that this generation is the most disconnected and lonely generation by statistics that have ever walked the planet. More kids report feeling lonely and disconnected than ever before, and more kids than ever say that they're, they admit that their relationships um, are shallow and superficial. And I thought to myself, this is why as coaches, one of the most valuable things that we can do for our athletes is to get deep with them and to share what our fears are 
and to share our doubts, share our insecurities, share the things that we messed up on, and to get vulnerable ourselves. That's one of the best gifts that we can give these kids because when a kid is struggling internally with something, they will never perform to their peak potential on the outside. Damage on the inside equals never being able to perform to your full potential on the outside. So that's like a, I, we do a lot of coaching with our athletes in an indirect way. We touch on things with them that you wouldn't think would directly impact their performance, but they do, and it sustains it over the long term. So I'm gonna do something that I wasn't planning on doing. We're gonna do a little exercise together real quick. I'm gonna share a fear of mine, and then you guys are gonna turn and share a fear with one another. The first one's gonna be fun, it's gonna be easy, it's gonna be superficial. My first fear is spiders. I try to act like I'm tough when my wife's around and there's a spider and I smash it, but truthfully, I get a little terrified by those things. So spiders and then heights are one of mine. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and share one of your superficial fears. It's quick, it's gonna be five seconds. Five seconds. All right. All right, good, that should, that should give everybody enough time to give one. All right, so the second one, now the, se now the second one we're gonna do. Oh man, you guys like this. I know, I unlocked, opened the bag. All right, guys, 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 attention, attention, attention. Okay, the second one. This one I want you to share, it's gonna be, you gotta share faster even though this next is gonna be a little deeper. One of my fears as a coach is that I will fail as a coach. Uh, one of my fears is that the kids that I work with, that some of them will go down a bad path, and I get that that might happen, but my biggest fear is that there might have been something I could have done about it as their coach, as their biggest influence in their lives. That's one of my biggest fears, is that the kids that I lead, the kids that I coach, won't end up being the incredible leaders, the confident, successful people that I want to help them become. So that's one of my biggest fears that I work through all, all, all the time. Go ahead and share, I don't know how to do this, what is that, 30 second time? 30 second timer on the clock. Go ahead and share one of your deeper fears as a coach, whether it's the fear of not being able to connect with a parent, the fear of not being able to connect with the kids, the fear of not being able to uh, motivate them, whatever it is, the fear that you have, share quickly with the person next to you and then we'll get moving, we'll get moving. Second countdown, four, three, two, one, and final thought, wrap it up. This is good, I might just let you guys talk the whole time. <laughs> Why not, right? All right, guys, all right, all right, all right. So this is something that, this is something uncommon that you can do with your team. And, uh, and the quickest way to create a more unified team, a team that works together more, is to build trust. And one of the quickest ways that your players will start to trust one another and get more deeply connected 
is if they know their fears. I was out at Boonesboro yesterday, and uh, I did a little demonstration for the team. I did, took them through some speed and agility, and then I did a talk at the end for the players. And I just asked them some simple questions. I said, who has the fear of disappointing their coaches? Almost every single one of them raised their hand. I said, who has the fear of disappointing one another right here? They all raised their hand, and they're kind of looking around like, oh, I'm not the only one? And I kept going on and on and on. I just had them raise their hand, and you could see kind of some barriers coming down. So that is a complete side note. Has nothing to do with the talk. This is the, these are the only two human narratives. Uh, as a coach, as a husband, as a wife, in, in life in general, there's only two narratives, struggle and frustration or progress and impact. And in a room this size, I know for a fact there are some people on this side of the equation, whether it's as a coach right now, struggling and frustrated, or in life, and then progress and impact is the other end. I'm sure some of us are there. We're like, we're motivated right now. We've got some serious um, work that we're doing. We're, we're purpose-driven as coaches, and you're making progress. You're making an impact. And what I want to share with you today are three ways that I have found. I, I'm a little over 10 years in coaching. So some of you guys have been doing this a lot longer than me. Like I said, I would love to sit down with some of you and learn about your experiences. But I want to share with you three things that I have found along the way that are proven ways to stay to the right. And when you get to the left, it's a blip. It's a day of struggle and frustration. It's not a prolonged thing. Because here's the truth. It's not my lack of resources that will keep me from an extraordinary coaching experience. It's my lack of resourcefulness. Dabo Sweeney is an incredible example of this. He is not the model coach. You wouldn't look at Dabo Sweeney and think, like, this guy is, like, the perfect coach. But he is an incredibly resourceful coach. If there's a challenge in front of him, if there's something with administration, if one of his kids is struggling, he never says, it's just, that just is the way it is. He always finds a way. He's incredibly resourceful. And when this is your mentality as a coach, it's never about what's happening out there with the parents, the coaches, the administration. It's never about that. Um, it's more about this. And you can control your coaching experience. I want to, for the next 30 minutes, I want all of us to get real selfish. Real selfish. And think about our coaching experience. Like how much joy and passion do we have? And and what is our experience like? Don't you deserve a better coaching experience? I mean, I know you all get paid a lot to coach, but, <laughs> but for the amount of effort that you give and the amount of sacrifice, I mean, you sacrifice your families, you sacrifice your own kids sometimes. I mean, the amount of sacrifice, you should, you should be allowed to have an incredible experience as a coach, one where every day, no matter what happens, no matter what the parent does, no matter what the other team does, or no matter what the, the refs did, you can just have this incredible experience as a coach. And I want to share with you some of those things. You may not agree with all of them, but I can guarantee you there's at least one thing in here that you might take and you're like, you know what? This is what I'm going to apply. This is going to make me a better coach and make me enjoy it more along the way. So this is the ultimate coaching experience. It's defined as making a genera generational impact in the life of every kid you work with, while at the same time sustaining your health, your joy, your passion, your relationships, and your drive over the long term. Not easy to do, kind of looks like a fairy tale. And if you're a coach that's like 150% all in, which I'm thinking that most of the people in this room are those kinds of coaches, 
not lukewarm coaches, but the kind of coaches that like, you have to pull yourself back sometimes from how much you love to give your team and how much you love to give your athletes. If you're that kind of coach, you have to know these things. Otherwise, like I did five years into being a coach, you'll burn out, you'll want to quit, and you'll be like, uh, this is just what coaching is, right? It just kind of sucks sometimes. That's not true. It's really not true. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm, again, I'm 10 years into coaching, and I promise you these three things that I'm going to share with you guys, I'm as charged up and driven and excited to coach as I've ever been. So we're going to dive in. There's three problems that we all face as coaches, parents, kids, circumstances, but the fourth one, again, it's us. We, our strategy is wrong. We might have a bad strategy. The story that we've been telling ourselves about the way things are and why they are the way they are, that might be a little bit off. Or our state, our internal state, our mental state as coaches, that might be what's off. And that, again, when you look at that as the number one problem and not those other three things, if you look at number four as the biggest problem, that should be the most encouragement any of us feel all day because we are the problem, but we are also the solution, right? We're the solution to all of it. And I believe that we, as we coaches, we change the state of our youth. Uh, we change the state of youth sports. Um, it's broken today. It's very broken, and I'm going to share a little bit more about that here in a minute. Uh, this is Jeff Duke. He's the creator of three-dimensional coaching. He says the two most powerful words in the life of a 21st century adolescent are the word coach says. I disagree. I think even more impactful is what a coach does. It's the action, and that speaks to that resourcefulness. This is what it is. There's another level of experience you can have as a coach if you choose to take the road less traveled. Great quote by Robert Frost, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. Only two things can change a person's life. Someone or something new comes into their life, or something new comes within them. And that, truthfully, is a coach, right? A coach can fill both of those. You're the new person that comes into their life, and you're the person that brings something new from within them. Chris talked a lot about uh, how that coach brought something new about him, brought, or allowed him to see something new within himself. And so that leads me to my first story. Mary and Steve are two of the craziest sports parents I've ever come across in my entire life. They brought their two daughters into our gym, Sarah and Tess, um, to work out. And I'm not kidding you, within minutes of them stepping foot into our front door, Mary looks at me and says, Andrew, Tess, are you able to get her out of her head? She is so anxious all the time. She is in her head all the time before competition. She never performs to her best. And Sarah, Sarah, she always quits the last 50 meters. It just looks like she just deflates and she never gives her best effort. She's not self-motivated. She's not driven. Andrew, is there any way that you can help? Can your program help with this? This is within 30 seconds of them walking in. And I was thinking the same thing you were. I was like, I know what would help. A lot. <laughs> I know what would help. So I didn't say that, though. I took the girls through their assessment and, uh, and took them through the workout, day one. Afterwards, I went back up and talked to Mary and Steve and said, you know what, I really think that we could help with some of these things. Um, there also might be some things as parents. You know, we all, you know, we all get a little emotional as sports parents, but there might be some things that you guys, uh, I could, some tips I could share with you if that's okay. Do you mind that? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, sure, no problem. So three days later, I went to their, uh, their swim meet because I, I needed to build a relationship with these girls. I needed the parents to know how much I cared before they knew how, or they cared how much I knew. And so 
and, and I didn't want, anyone know the Maddie Holleran story? Some of you guys know that story, girl who committed suicide because the pressure was too great in sports. Um, that was like what was going through my mind with these two young girls. It was that intense with their parents. So I show up at the swim meet and it was, it was significantly worse than I thought it was gonna be. I mean, I got there and the first thing I see is Mary following Tess. Tess is walking this way and Mary's following her. Tess, I can see it, you're in your head again. What are you doing, Tess? Stop thinking about it. That girl might have beat you last time, but she's not gonna beat you this time. You've got this, you've got this. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh man, Sarah was on, on the other side of the auditorium, clear other side of the auditorium, rightfully so. Steve is up in the corner and he looks terrified. He is far more nervous than these girls are and we know that, that when a parent's nervous, it transmits to the kid, You're like they can just feel it. And uh, I looked at, this is kind of, this is awful, but I looked at Sarah and I noticed her look up one time and she probably regretted it. She looked up at mom and dad and as soon as they made eye contact, she was like, a hundred yards away, mom and dad are like pointing at their head. They're like, get your mind right. Come on, you got this. So anyway, it was an awful, awful experience. Mary screamed the entire race as if her daughters who were underwater could hear her. And she screamed and screamed and screamed. After the girls got out of the water, they just beat them down, beat them down with all these different, you know, um, criticisms. And so the next day I wrote a blog because that's what I do. I observe bad coaching and bad parenting and then I'll write a blog about it in a nice way. Um, to, try to, to try to lend some insight. And I wrote a blog and a week goes by. So another weekend went by and the girls had had another meet. Monday comes around and Mary walks into the front doors. I kid you not, she steps in and just looks at me and says, I read your blog. <laughs> I was like, I write one of those every week. What'd you think? <laughs> and she says, Steve and I, we applied every one of the four points that you gave in that blog. Don't give any pregame reminders. Don't scream during the event. Don't talk about the event on the ride home. That's another one. Um, use the four to one or the five to one complement to criticism ratio. A few simple tips. She said, we applied every single one of the four tips that you gave. She said, both of the girls this past weekend, they qualified for the state meet and they both PR'd in every single one of their events. Best of all, she said they were smiling afterwards and they actually wanted to talk to us. She said, this is not what I was expecting we were gonna get when we brought the girls to you, but I'm okay with it. They're performing better. And so she still wanted them to perform their best and she still might have a little bit of, you know, the wrong focus as their parents, in my opinion. Um, but things changed, and the reason things changed is because I changed first. I changed my approach, I changed the way I educated them, the way that I talked with them. This is uh, point number two. Um, this is Coach Travis. Uh, he is hands down the best connector with middle school, high school kids that I've ever been around in my life. He, I mean, and I'll share with you a little bit of, of that in a second. This kid, Brian, comes into our gym. Brian's a basketball player. Uh, Brian is a stud. But Brian walks into our gym with a label on his forehead that says, the lazy kid. And he has a story that he started to tell himself because he's heard it so many times. He's got a story in his heart that says, I'm the kid with a lot of talent that's never going to make anything of myself because I'm lazy. And so he's taking on that identity, 
right? That's just like it's been told to him by his coaches so many times that that's what he's starting to tell himself. His story is wrong. And so Travis takes it among himself to transform this kid. And so Brian comes into the gym, and day one, he just he, he is who he is. He doesn't work hard. He does two sets instead of three on bench press, and he tells us he did three. He rolls his, you know, he doesn't really roll out right. He's not really stretching right. He's just not giving his best effort. Travis doesn't say anything. Travis just asks him about, you know, hey, man, tell me about uh, what do you like to do outside of basketball? Um, where, where do you want to go someday? And he's just connecting with him. He gets his Instagram account. He starts uh, messaging him on Instagram. Travis, uh, Travis does whatever it takes to connect with the kids the way that they like to be connected with. So he'll play video games with them. He'll get on the Xbox Live. Like, I mean, Travis is incredible. Like, he could be up here giving this talk right now because the way he connects, he does whatever it takes to build a bridge with that kid. And three months goes by, and we start getting messages from his coach, from Brian's coach. Hey, I don't know what you guys are doing with Brian over there, but man, he is motivated. He is driven. Other kids on the team are starting to look up to him. They're starting to change and work harder too. Man, keep doing whatever you're doing. And so I asked Travis, I was like, what have you been doing with him, man? He said, I've never once questioned his work ethic. I just support him along the way. I give him advice, and him and I connect. And him and I went to lunch together the other day, and we talked about stuff outside of practice and stuff outside of basketball. And lo and behold, Brian shows up, and he gives Travis his all. And then Travis says, hey, man, I heard that uh, you know, Coach has been riding you pretty hard at practice. You think that it might have something to do with not giving your all? Brian's like, yeah. And Travis says, do me a favor. Could you start? Did you just see what happens? Yeah, coach, I got you. But it's a long-term process. The feedback loop is long. So in both cases, we learned that we got to change as coaches. We got to change our story. The old story might be, Kids are lazy and parents be crazy. New story is they will change when I change because coach is the leader of it all. When you sign up for coaching, you actually signed up. You, in our minds, we thought we signed up to be the leader of the team, and it's our job to help the team. But you signed up for a relationship with the parents. You, you signed up for a relationship with every single one of the 10, 15, 20 athletes. <laughs> You signed up for an individual relationship with all of those kids and an individual relationship, a unique relationship with the parents. And if you approach it like that, kind of like Chris alluded to, you'll have so much influence. Um, you'll be able to get them to change their ways and that will make your experience as a coach that much better. So much more enjoyable when, as a coach, your kids and the parents listen to you. Right? It makes everything better, and you don't burn out along the way. So quality number one, to have the ultimate coaching experience, take complete responsibility. This is me, 2009. This is when I first started coaching. I discovered that you could get paid to work with student athletes. I work on the sports performance end of things in athletics, but I fell in love with this idea that I could stay around sports, and that could be my career. That could be my profession. These were the honeymoon days. Right? That's like when everything was perfect. I just loved every second of it. It didn't matter what it was. I loved it. This embarrassing picture was five years later. Five years later, that's what I looked like. And I'll tell you why I took this picture. 
I was doing my annual reflection and annual, re annual planning for the upcoming year. And one of the questions in my annual planning prompted me to take a picture of yourself and look at yourself and look at how you feel so you can compare it. And at the end of next year, hopefully you look better. I did. I looked a lot better the following year, not this one. And so I took that picture. And the reason why I looked like that, I looked burnt out. I looked awful. I see Brian back there, one of our teammates, laughing at me. He's like, I'm going to put this all over social media. The reason I looked like that is because I didn't understand this. I didn't understand this concept of vision. I didn't have a vision for my own coaching experience. I didn't have a vision for what I wanted to, how I wanted to impact the athletes I worked with. I didn't have a vision for the program I was leading. I mean, in the beginning, you don't need a vision. This was all based on a feeling. This was all about me. It felt good, right? I was riding a high. But then time goes by and you need a better strategy than that, right? That's not a good strategy to go on a feeling. It's like in a marriage. The first couple years, it's easy because you're in the honeymoon phase, but then you need a good strategy. Like you need to do stuff. And I wasn't doing stuff. I had lost sight of my vision. And when you do that, you look like that. You, lo you, you lose sight of your vision and you lose everything else too. There's two types of people I found with vision. Some of us had no vision to begin with. That was me. I never knew, like, I'd write your vision down and look at it all the time so that you don't lose your motivation, so you don't lose your why. Start with why. You don't lose why you're doing it. Or we had one and we lost sight of it. Helen Keller says the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. What causes us to lose sight of our vision? This is some good stuff that I think you might want to write down. There's a couple things, and it's the same thing that hinders our sight when driving. Number one, fog. Fog will get in your way of your vision for your coaching experience and for the athletes you lead. Fog. What is fog? Family issues. Bad diagnosis. Poor health. Poor nutrition. Poor sleep habits. All those things create mental fog, not literal fog, but mental fog for us. And those things, when they're there, it's hard for us to see what we're trying to work towards, to see the impact that we want to have in our kids' lives that we're working with. So fog, fog is something that you got to watch out for, but you can't stop it. You can only, like Chris said, you can look out for it. Number two, an object in the road. This will cause you to lose sight of your vision pretty quickly. This is administration throws a curveball, a crazy parent, your best player transferred. Something unforeseeable gets in your way. And if you're not planning for it, if you don't have your vision set, like, and you don't know it, like you could just recite it off the top of your mind, if you don't have that vision, this will derail you. And this will cause your coaching experience to start being, eh, really not loving coaching right now. It's because the vision's not there, right? Everything starts with the vision. Number three, spouse or kids in the back distracting you. Most of us have had that experience. Athletes, this is the way this translates is, athletes just not complying or aligning with your vision. I want to see a raise of hands. People have been coaching for 5, 10, 20 years. Are kids today harder to connect with than 10 years ago? Raise your hand if that's true. Harder to connect with. Most people say yes. It depends. But this is what will cause you to lose sight of your vision, those three things. How do you keep the vision? Number one, never give a temporary challenge a permanent meaning. 
that's what I was doing back in 2015, that awful picture of me. Maybe both were awful, but the second one was more awful. Back in 2015, I was giving these temporary challenges, right? Uh, it doesn't feel great right now. I'm not loving this. There's a bunch of challenges happening. I was giving those challenges permanent meanings, and you never want to do that. You just want to take them as they come and know that they're going to pass by. Honor the struggle. You've got to honor that struggle. Number two, be the thermostat, not the thermometer. Um, if you read the book, you read this little story. Some of you guys may use this analogy with your players. What does a thermometer do? What's the role of a thermometer? Takes the temperature. The role of a thermostat is sets the temperature. I remember I had a group of girls, Oak de la Crosse, come into train one day. And they just walked in. And they were just like, like energy vampires. Like things just weren't going well. They were lazy. They were tired, whatever you want to call it. And that, I mean, it's very easy for that to transmit onto the coach. And I remembered this concept. I was like, you know what? These girls are not going to steal my experience today. I'm going to have a good coaching experience. So the girls are doing their warm-up, and they're looking all lazy. And all I do, I start high-fiving them as they're going. I start high-fiving them, giving them low fives, giving them low fives. Okay, and then it turns into high fives. Go high-five them, high-five them. I'm smiling the whole time. Okay, smiling is important. I'm smiling, I'm high-fiving, I'm low-fiving them, I'm booty-bumping them, all those things. And then I start to race them. So as they're in their warm-up lines, I race the first group, and then I run back, and I race the second group, and I can just see their body language starting to change. They're starting to change a little bit. And I raced like six groups of girls, and I'm exhausted by that time, and I just laid flat all on my back afterwards, and they all start laughing, they all come over, they're, they're joking around with me, they lift me up, and then they had an amazing workout. It's like they had forgotten five minutes, I'm not even kidding you guys, it was three to five minutes, this transition happened. And they had one of the best workouts that they've ever had because I decided they weren't going to dictate the temperature of the room. I'm the leader, I'm the coach. I'm gonna dictate the temperature. So when you're the thermostat and not the thermometer every single day, even when you don't feel like it, it helps you keep your vision and it helps, you keep, it helps keep you from burning out along the way. So number three, define your vision, write it down. Habakkuk 2.2, Bible verse says, write the vision and make it clear. That's step three. It's your vision for your program, the vision for your kids, and the vision for your coaching experience. Go ahead and turn to the person on your left and your right and say, you gotta have a better vision. Go ahead and do it. Turn to the person on your left and right and say, you gotta have a better vision. All right, here's a, here's a great exercise to do. We're not gonna have time, we're not gonna have time to do this exercise today, but it's called I Imagine. And this is truthfully, this is the vision. This is the vision piece. I do this exercise a couple times a year and I read it once a week. I have to. Again, I'm a 150% coach, I'm all in. And if I don't read this, what I'm about to share with you, if I don't read it every single week, I'll lose my pizzazz, I'll lose my spark, I'll lose my passion, and then that's not fair to the kids. And I'll start to blame parents and kids instead. So number one, for me, because I, I run a business, I imagine an organization, which is a program, that's far more than a gym. We become a coaching company that creates resources, events, and a contagious environment daily that solves people's problems. With 500 plus team members someday, we'll, we'll help millions of people become fully confident, healthy, successful leaders. For the athletes I lead now, for their lives, I imagine all of the athletes I coach, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually healthy. 
I imagine them becoming high-performing, purpose-driven men and women who lead their families and teams with love and integrity. They embrace challenges and obstacles rather than running from them, which is what most kids do nowadays. And they become leaders who inspire other people to do the same. And then lastly, my career experience. I imagine it being one filled with challenges and obstacles, but extreme joy and gratitude. I'll have strong, deeply connected, and meaningful relationships. My health will be vibrant and strong, and I will always make time for the things that matter most to me. I read this vision once a week, and even when there's fog, even when there's kids in the backseat distracting me, even when there's an object in the road, this is in my mind, and it helps me push past those times where I don't feel like it, because I never know if what I'm about to share with you is gonna happen to a kid who comes my way and needs my help. I gotta be on my A game. I gotta, I gotta have my passion there. I gotta have my purpose there. So we need a better strategy. Having a vision gives us a why. And absent a why, we have no backup when things get tough. Why power is greater than willpower. So that's quality number two. Use your mind to keep the end in mind. Never let your past or your current circumstances limit your vision for your future. This is a story that it's hard for me to share sometimes. This girl, um, this girl comes into the gym two years ago and her body language, just like the team I shared with you, her body language is not good, right? She's just like, she looks mad. Doesn't look sad, she just looks mad. Like she's got like a chip on her shoulder. And from the minute we started the warm up to the end of the workout, she never was giving her best effort. Every time I tried to correct her on something, she shrugged me off. I noticed her deliberately like skipping sets. She wouldn't do 12 reps, she would do 10. And we always say like we've got this culture at the gym, this culture of like last set, best set, finish strong always. And she was like going against it. And so I started to take it a little personally, right? This is reflecting poorly on me. The other kids are gonna see, the parents are gonna see. Not good to go that route. So it comes down to the big finish, which is the final exercise that we give our athletes. And I say, all right, Jamie, you ready? Big finish. She goes, I'm not doing it today. I just looked at her for a second. She goes, what? I'm not doing it. Not sad, mad, standoffish. And I said, okay, well, when you want to start finally acting like a college athlete, then come back and talk to me. Go foam roll. And I see her turn, head down, and walk slowly over the rollers. And you know as a coach, like, when you shouldn't have said something or you should have handled it a little differently. You, you feel that twisting on the inside, a little knot. And the only thing I did right in this situation, the only thing I did well was I immediately went after her. And I sat down next to her. And I very seriously, I looked at her and I said, you're gonna be a girl for a second, is that okay? Okay. And I said, Jamie, that was really wrong of me the way that I handled that. I'm, I'm concerned about you. What's going on? My boyfriend broke up with me. To her, that's like biggest thing in the world, right? And so I kind of was like, all right, I was, I was preparing myself for what I was gonna say to her. And then she says, and my mom, they found a lump in her breast and they don't know what it is. Acting unlovingly is the quickest way to ensure that a spouse, your kids, your athletes that you work with, quickest way to ensure that they shut down. 
This is how to ensure your athletes shut down, block you out, and don't listen to you. Every single one of these things I've done myself. I'm a younger coach. I've been in it 10 years. Impatience, when you have a high flame and you're quick to boil, you don't give them your time. You don't communicate why to them. You don't go out of your way to make sure, hey, just so you know, I pulled you out because of this. Respond emotionally out of anger. Degrade them in front of other kids. Make little side remarks. Make jokes, right? Jokes that you think are unharmful, but they're harmful to them. You take their shortcomings, their bad behavior, their poor performance personally, I've done that one. You take too much credit. That'll get some of your players to shut down. And you focus on your short-term win opposed to their long-term win. These are all ways that you don't want to, these are all ways to get the athletes to shut down. This is the most practical definition as a coach that I've ever found for how to do love right. Right? If love is this powerful influencer that is so uncommon, and I believe it is, this is the most practical. You guys have probably all heard it in weddings before. It's from the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It's the love is patient, love is kind, all those things. What we did was we took that word, love, and we just put the word coach there. And we asked ourselves, I asked myself, can I say yes to all these things? Can I say that I'm patient with my players' behavior? and patient with their long-term progress? Am I kind? Is this kind? Is what I'm doing right now kind? Am I being envious of other teams? Am I comparing my players to another, players, to another team's players? Am I boastful? Am I letting my pride get in the way of sitting down with that girl and telling her, I messed up. That was wrong of me. I make mistakes too. And I found that when you can put your name in front of every single one of these things, you become a coach that is so impactful and influential that you will get even the kids that you think have no hope, the kids that are just like so they don't listen to you, you will get even them to start buying in and start listening to you a little bit better because this is an uncommon thing in today's day and age. Change your state, change your experience. I found that it's, it's, an, it's a loving internal state. Sounds fluffy, but love is far from fluffy, and I'll share that in a second. When your state is one of love, personally, your experience becomes better as a coach. You do all those things right, at least you work on them every once in a while, you put them in front of your eyes and you work on those things, it becomes, I'm telling you, your experience just becomes so much better. It's powerful stuff. So quality number three, to have the ultimate coaching experience, commit to what we call love-powered leadership. But don't forget, love still disciplines, love still corrects, and love still challenges. Because love, you gotta hear this, love is the only type of leadership. There's a whole bunch of different types of leadership out there. Love is the only kind of leadership that puts what is in the best interest of the other person first 100% of the time, no matter what no matter how inconvenient it is, no matter how embarrassing it might be for you to share and get vulnerable with your players, no matter how much you don't feel like being the thermostat and don't feel like being goofy and fun, Dabo Sweeney, runs; he's the first coach ever in Clemson history to run out onto the field with his players. Love, it doesn't matter. When you're leading with love as a coach, you'll do whatever it takes. And you'll make a generational impact in the kids that you work with. 
So you gotta, you still got to discipline. you still got to correct. you still got to challenge. Um, love is those things if the kid needs it. I want to close with uh, John Wooden. John Wooden is uh, one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's someone that I aspire to be like someday. Wooden's legacy remains his unparalleled success as a basketball coach, his 10 NCAA championships in a 12-season stretch at UCLA, and the Bruins' 88-game winning streak. But for those who played for him, and to many who met him, it seemed to be the last thing to define him. You hear from every guy who played for him how he taught us about life as he taught us about basketball. But I don't know that any of us had any idea that it was happening at the time. It's like you read a Salinger story, then you took a class, and then you learned about all the hidden symbolism. There was a whole level of teaching going on that none of us could see. One example, Hill said, came every day at practice. It began at 3 p.m. and ended at 5.30 precisely. Why? He wanted to go home and be with his family, Hill said. I don't think it was because Coach was lazy. He just had the perspective of what was really important, and he always reinforced it with what he said. He always reinforced what he said with what he did. This was a backup player, a bench player for John Wooden, and this is how he spoke about Coach. You know that you're good when your nickname is Coach. Guys, what are the bench players, not what are they going to say, what is your vision for what you want your bench players to say about you someday? Write that down. Tuck that next to your bed and read that all the time. I can't imagine bench players saying those kinds of things about me, but I want to. That's what I want to happen. We're not going to have time to watch this video, but essentially the way it wraps up is this quote. John Wooden says that success is peace of mind which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did your best to become the best you are capable of becoming. These three things, change your story, change your strategy, change your state. Take complete responsibility, write the vision down, don't lose sight, receive and give love-powered, and, and give love, commit to love-powered leadership. Guys, as I mentioned in the beginning, the state of our youth is not good. Anxiety is at an all-time high and it's growing. Injuries are at an all-time high and they're growing. The amount of kids who are burning out from sports is at an all-time high and it continues to climb. 10 years ago, 38, 45% of kids participated in sports. Today, 38. It's a 7% drop in 10 years. The amount of kids who are comparing themselves to others, all-time high and growing. The amount of kids who have confidence, all-time low and declining. Belief in self. Self-esteem, I could go on and on. Self-worth, these things are at an all-time low and declining. Sense of connectedness and purpose and feeling like they matter, all-time low and declining. It's not about what the state is right now that's scary. It's that the trajectory isn't good enough. And all of us in this room, we all have the power to change every single last bit of it if we commit to these three things, if we commit to taking complete responsibility and transforming the parents, transforming the athletes that we work with, if we commit to writing the vision down and keeping it in front of us, and if we commit to leading with love in an uncommon way, I'm telling you, you'll make the generational impact you wanna make, and your life will be awesome, and your experience will be amazing along the way. Thank you guys for having me.